Hello everyone, welcome back to the Demos Podcast, a great place for research-based discussions on populism and democracy. I'm Linka Kordovankova and I will be your host for this special podcast episode. Today we invited three distinguished experts in studies about populism to answer five most frequently asked questions about populism on Google search. We welcome here today research professor of Center for Social Sciences in Budapest and the Demos Horizon 2020 project leader, Dr. Jolt Boda. Hello, Jolt. Hello, Lenka. Thank you very much. Next, the director of the Institute for Legal Studies of Center for Social Sciences, Dr. Frugina Gardos Oros. Uh, thank you very much for the invitation. And finally, our special guest, who is a professor of political science at Center European University with the CU Democracy Institute in Budapest, Professor Laventa Litvai. Hello, everybody. Thank you all for joining us today. I hope we will find the answers for those five intriguing questions that people ask all the time. So, the first question is food for thought, and it's, is populism good? Professor Litvai, you may start. So, okay, so before we talk about if populism is good or bad, maybe we should talk about what populism is very quickly. Um, I subscribe to what's called the ideational definition of populism, which views politics as a struggle between the good and the pure people and a corrupt, conniving elite that is there to exploit them and believes normatively that politics should just be an expression of the will of the people. And I like this definition because apparently it, it seems to be working very well in empirical models and it's uh, very useful for both studying the elites, the politicians, and it's also very useful for studying the people, the public, which is my research area. So it, historically populism has been mainly studied in, in the masses, in the elites, and uh, there are many, many, many other approaches which we probably shouldn't get into, but uh, some view it as a political style, some view it as an organizational means, but the ideational definition is definitely winning out. Now, is populism good? I, I'm just going to say mostly no and uh, pass over the idea. As a lawyer, uh, we would say that uh, populism is not good for, uh, uh, for democracy and democratic values because uh, uh, the populism has an effect on the constitutional uh, uh, structure um, uh, by uh, introducing uh, the uh, state capture in, uh, with regard to certain institutions and, and court packing in, in certain countries that, that leads uh, to uh, uh, destruction of the, of the separation of, of powers. And, uh, and therefore, um, uh, finally, we usually conclude uh, that uh, the populism uh, has a bad effect on, uh, on the values of the European constitutional democracies that are centered uh, on, the, on the separation of uh, uh, powers um, uh, based on, on a fight against arbitrary decision uh, making and of course uh, that, that fights for the protection of human rights. We can also approach this from another angle, from the perspective of the people. And one of the problems that populism causes is you're going to really quickly start hating your neighbor if they don't believe what you believe. Uh, this leads to polarization, it leads to societal breakdown, when the only cleavage in society is, uh, is, it, is it us or them, then that is going to have very, very negative societal consequences. So, I mean, people have argued that, uh, that populism is actually good, and, and there, there's merit to some of those arguments because populism can get people interested in politics who haven't been interested in politics. It, it can enfranchise people who have 
felt disenfranchised. I mean, if you think of the example with, with Donald Trump, there was a lot of talk about these miners and steel workers who haven't had a voice in such a long time. But now the, their savior, Donald Trump, has come and, and now they have a voice. This can mobilize people, this can get people interested in politics, but unfortunately for the wrong reason. And when this is empirically tested, uh, very often we find out that it's not even that true, that it's going to have a positive impact on turnout. Yeah, yeah so I also think that the merits of populism is usually emphasized in terms of democracy, as Rujana mentioned. But it's more like a promise, or it's more like a trigger to populism. The problem with democracy, or problems with inequality and, and social issues, these are triggers. And, and populism is a kind of corrective, or, or a kind of signal, signaling those social or political problems. But the real problem is that when they get to power, and this is what Fusion also referred to, they don't really fulfill those promises. Coming back to the example of Trump, I mean, it's, it's a kind of tragic thing that I think there is a very strong positive correlation between the percentage of people voting for Trump and the percentage of people not having social security. So people with bad social conditions voted for Trump, who actually didn't do anything for those people, basically, yes. during his presidency. So the populists capitalize on some social problems, and in this sense may have some, some positive role signaling those problems to the polity, to the, to the political class. But the problem is that when they get to power, they don't really correct those problems. For instance, inequality has been shown decreasing a little bit uh, under left-wing populists, but actually not decreasing at all uh, under right-wing populists, for instance. So, so basically, uh, I think th this, is a, this is a problem that populism might be good, uh, showing and signaling some problems, but it is apparently incapable to, to solve those problems or, or really address those problems. Um, all right, let's move on to question number two. Is populism a threat to democracy? Dr. Gardos Oroz, what do you think about that based on your legal studies? Um, the point is, if we, if we go back uh, to what Joelt has just mentioned, uh, that uh, it, it's very uh, clear uh, that uh, the populist politics would like to have an impact on the enhancement of the direct democratic tools and the direct uh, uh, participation in the, in the democratic de decision uh, making. Uh, but the point is just exactly what jo Joel said, that uh, critics, some critics uh, uh, might be valid um, um, in relation to the, uh, to the operation of the, of the liberal, uh, uh, European liberal democracy. But on the other hand, what we, what we see in the, in the European states when we examine the impact on populism, on, on constitutionalism and, uh, uh, and the legal, legal system, uh, that um, uh, these, um, uh, although these critics might be valid, the, um, uh, the revision of, uh, of the institutional and, uh, and procedural uh, design is not done by the, by the populist uh, forces. So when they come to power, they do not enhance the direct democracy and they do not, do, do not introduce uh, legal uh, solutions uh, that would uh, lead to a greater participation of the, of the people. And I can I can show that with uh, with one great example, for example, from from Hungary, uh, when when the populist um, uh, regime uh, started in in uh, 2010, there was a revision of the uh, of the popular vote in, in Hungary, and actually the popular vote uh, is now much more difficult. Uh, 
to conduct than uh, than it was be before. So actually, uh, in spite of the uh, the political announcement on enforcing the the direct democracy um, in in Hungary, the legislation has just changed into the to the other direction, and it's quite difficult uh, to to be successful with a with a popular vote. And when to, it to came initiate, to to initiate a referendum by people, you know, uh, just to explain. Uh, but not only to initiate, but also to uh, um, uh, to do a successful popular yeah. vote. Uh, so the uh, the thresholds of of participation and the thresholds of of uh, uh, the votes in the side in the same direction were elevated yeah. both. So 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 actually, uh, it's very difficult to succeed. And this uh, the 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 popular vote of uh, two thousand sixteen on on. Uh, on uh, uh, illegal migration and constitutional identity showed this very well because there was a great participation uh, there, uh, but but still, as uh, formerly uh, the rules were were changed, uh, the popular vote uh, was invalid, and uh, uh, and the government uh, could not use this uh, this tool. Um, in 2016, and there were no, no not any other uh, uh, successful popular uh, votes uh, since 2010. So, just an example that that, for example, in in Hungary, we can clearly see that the direct participation, the the vehicles to uh, to in, enhance the direct uh, participation, uh, failed, or some other forms were. Uh, uh, were uh, constructed, uh, which uh, which are not legally binding actually on the on the government or on the parliament. So uh, so these are uh, these are a kind of uh, uh, a fake uh, uh, institutions. You mean the the consultations, uh, the, the civic consultations that the government is regularly organizing, asking people about specific questions, but we don't know that who are answering. We don't know that 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 what is the what would be the legally. Uh, binding uh, result, etc. So these are more like communication, communication, communicative exercises by the government. Yeah, Indeed. I, and I think it's misguided. I'm, I'm not an institutionalist by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, I think it's misguided to look for these institutional manifestations of populism. A common sense person knows what the people want, and it's that simple. And Viktor Orban is a common sense person. He has common sense, so he knows what the people want. Who cares about these institutional solutions? These are unnecessary. All we need is somebody to be there and do what the people want because the people have this common will and, and that's it. And that's what they're playing. The rest is just communication. And it doesn't matter that it's, who cares about referendum? It's, we don't need referendum, Viktor Orban knows. So, so, yeah, yeah. so you are absolutely right, but, but this is why it is important to show that although populists sometimes are talking about the will of the people and majoritarian yeah. decision-making, etc., in principle they don't care and those institutional researches can show that indeed it's not happening. Referendums are not used more under populist rules, etc. Plus, let's not forget that uh, liberal democracy today is much more than just uh, the majoritarian uh, you know, decision-making. So populists don't even fulfill their promises on, on majoritarian decision-making. Uh, plus, they really undermine the very complicated and sophisticated institutional design of liberal democracy. Because liberal democracy is also about constitution, constitutionalism. It's also about human rights. It's also about checks and balances and separation of powers, etc. Protection of the minority. Protection of the minorities. Yeah. <laughs> and just as Levy said, the, 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 the effect of populism is very often that you, you start hating your neighbor, as you said. 
because all those minorities who, uh, who don't fit this homogenizing definition of the people by the point of populists, mm. they are treated as, as, as potential enemies, like LGBTQ people or immigrants or, 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 or national minorities, etc. So, and this is this, all these uh, ideas really goes against the architecture, the complex architecture of, of today's liberal democracy. So, so, so that's why I think that populism is, is really a threat to democracy. I think that here we, we agree with that because it's not even uh, uh, promoting uh, direct democracy, plus it's really undermining the, the complex uh, city of, 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 of liberal democracy. Yeah, George, if, if I could sum it up, I would say that any kind of system that views the opposing point of view as the enemy is a threat to democracy. Mm -hmm. because, because if you cannot have a conversation, a dialogue with the other side, because they're just corrupt, they're, they're, they don't want the good of the people, and whoever is with them is just corrupted or co-opted or bought or is completely misguided, and therefore they also become the enemy, you cannot have a dialogue about differences of opinion. When it becomes the only cleavage, then we cannot have a conversation about anything. And then that's bad for democracy, because then we end up with one party, as in like Hungary has an effective number of parties is like what at like 1.8 at this point i'm, I'm exaggerating <laughs> but but that's what it is uh, this is why the the representative democracy became uh the the major form of of uh, of democracy in in europe uh because representative democracy is the system that enables the representation of the of the minority view that can uh, that can uh incorporate those elaborating pr procedures on the on the different uh, topics that, that that is really necessary to to involve everyone, all citizens, to the decision making process, and and also this is why the the constitutional structure created the independent institutions, the the, the institutional uh, structure that just to uh, to give checks and and, and balances to the uh, to to the government in order to uh, bal balance the the the, the majority uh, and uh, and give the the rights and opportunities equally to all citizens. So I, I think that we uh, we have uh, or the, the European uh, uh, the European uh, civilization has uh, has already uh, found out a, a proper form of, of representing uh, the, the the citizens um, and uh, and and therefore it's a, it's an interesting claim to um, to, to transform this uh, liberal constitutional democracy uh, now to um, to a different uh, uh, system, uh, and um, and what we see by now um, are only the the failures of this new try to create a different form of democracy. Well, thank you all for your insights. Um, next is a question that seems to pop up all the time on the media: Why is populism on the rise in Europe or beyond? And maybe we can add a sub-question here. Is it even on the rise at the moment? Dr. Boda, what are your thoughts about that? Yes, yeah, so starting with the second sub-question, I, I think that the populism right now is not on the rise in Europe. Apparently, the pandemic has been a crisis that, that didn't help uh, the populists. Although usually we say that populists thrive under uh, situations of crisis, but, but this pandemic is something, some, something that they cannot really dominate that can cannot use for for their own purposes maybe maybe the illness you know itself or somehow 
uh, reinstore the, the authority of expertise and knowledge and, and the populist arguments just don't work in, in this crisis. So, so right now, maybe populism is, is, is not on the rise. However, if you look back at the past two decades or three decades, we can clearly see that, that, there, been a, that there has been a rise of, of populism if we, if we look at uh, the popularity of the so-called populist parties in Europe, uh, if you look uh, at, at attitudes of people, how, how they become stronger and stronger in terms of some, some, some populist measures, some indicators of populism, because we have, we have this. Maybe Levy can, can add a few things about that. Uh, and and so, so, so in this sense, on the long run, you can say that there has been a rise. So why? The question is, why, 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 why this rise? What, 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 what explains it? Well, there are several explanations and several ideas. Uh, and, and, and it even might be that all these different uh, ideas are, are all true because populism is also very contextual. I mean, in different countries, in different contexts, maybe different problems can, can lead to a populist answer. So, for instance, in, in southern Europe, uh, Spain, Greece, the economic problems, especially of the, of the economic crisis of 2007-2010, has been certainly very important, triggering uh, uh, this kind of populist answers to these to these real real existing social and economic problems. One thing. Second, also the migration is is is, is said to be uh, to, to contributing to, to, to this populist um, um, rise. So in Northern European, in, in Western European countries, many people more and more see immigration as, as a problem, and 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 populists are more prone to to address and capitalize on this problem. Um, there are also explanations which point to, to, to the neoliberal globalization and its effects. So the neoliberal globalization, which is about multinational companies, uh, which, which are the elite, the kind of economic elite, you know, target of populists. Uh, also the, the, the very fast technological change, the very fast economical changes, economic changes that, that really uh, affect a lot of people. We also already mentioned that, that who are the supporters of Trump, for instance. So, and, and this is combined, the, the social economic problems are combined with some, some cultural issues. The, the view of this, this new world, this new global, not national, but, but global world, uh, technologically uh, advanced world as a kind of threat to many people. The, the fast cultural change. So, so I think that there might be several factors behind it. Uh, uh, cultural, economic, uh, social issues, but I think that that what is what is certainly important, and I do believe so, as I, as I said, that the populism should be taken seriously as, as as a sign, as a signal that 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 there are some problems out there, and the elite indeed should 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 deal with those problems, whether they, they like it or not. Otherwise, there will be like 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 rebellions, like in France, you know, the the, the yellow jackets movement, which was a a true popul popular, po populist uh, kind of answer to, to, to some, and it was, a, it was an expression of, of many social and economic problems. Yes, legitimate grievances, yeah. yeah. So uh, you mentioned attitudes. I, we haven't been measuring populist attitudes for that long. Yeah. I mean, the, first, the first measurements of populist attitudes maybe were 15 years ago in the United States. Uh, before that, there has been some scales claiming to be populist Back in the back in the seventies, but they, they they didn't measure really. If we go back to that definition at the beginning, it really didn't measure that very specifically. But one of the things that's coming out of the measurements is 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 there is no pattern in 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 there is no very systematic increase decrease. There is no there is no pattern in in 
And you would think that where there are populist governments, then there will be higher level of populist attitudes. When, uh, when populism is very much on the agenda, there are populist messages in the media, then populism, populist attitudes would be higher. And that's not the case. Mm. So, so on the attitudinal level, we cannot necessarily say that populism is on the rise, but we lack the data. It's mm. something that we should... Yes, but the interesting thing about populist attitudes is that, that and you correct me if I'm mm. wrong, that they, they predict the populist vote. Yes. So if the populist vote is increasing, I would, uh, of course, this is a reverse causality, maybe I, I'm wrong, but, but I may suspect that somehow these attitudes uh, uh, grow stronger or somehow they, they uh, I don't know, I don't know. But, but, but I think this is really important because, because as you, 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 you define populism along the ideational approach, you didn't uh, emphasize it, but I think that we should, that populism indeed can be both left and right. Yes, absolutely. The populist attitudes, these attitudes scare, scares anti-elitism, pro-people, uh, Manichaean thinking about what is good and bad in society. So they, they, they correlate quite strongly with, with, with voting for populists, either left or right. And I think this is, this is unique because otherwise we don't have one attitude which would you know, correlate positively with left and, and right vote. With cut across, yeah, it's uh, absolutely true. In fact, populism was was m much more studied before. We usually hear about European right-wing populism right now, but, uh, but you know, Hugo Chavez was also a populist, and they were studying him long before. Or Peron uh, in the or, 50s. Or in the 50s. In Argentina, or, yeah. or, well, I mean, we can go back to the Omaha platform in the 1800s in the United States. So, so... There were populists of very, very different convictions, political convictions, and, and even right now there are leftist populist parties mainly in the southern Europe, um, Spain, Greece, maybe Italy uh, come to mind. So there are leftist populist forces, certainly. Um, sitting here in Budapest, Hungary, because that's where we're having this conversation, it's really difficult to see anything but the rise of populism, because recently I did a study and I wanted to look at if the attitudes match up with... Uh, with uh, the populist, uh, who they who they prefer, do they prefer populist parties? And then I quickly realized there we don't have any other party left in Hungary because uh, I mean only populist. I mean, I mean, the, the Opik, which is historically has been quite an elitist party, people have been classifying it as populist because of its anti-immigration stance. But it's not true. They were very much an elite. They would have been happy with the king once upon a time. Now they're very populist. If you look at their leader talking right now, he talks about the poor people of. Um, such and such county non non-stop and how the current political elite is exploiting them momentum completely started going populist right now so, so we don't have anything left in hungary i sat there i was like well let's compare these parties and let's compare if maybe the people who are less populist vote for the no 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 we don't have any more we can, i couldn't compare i literally could not do a comparison Ruzi? uh if we come to uh, central and uh and uh, Eastern Europe, that is very interesting from a constitutional law uh, point of view. The scholarship very often goes back to the to the democratic transition, and and says that the the institutional design and the new constitutions were uh, were introduced in quite a let's say top down manner. Uh, but the, the the point is that uh, the the society was not uh, adaptive enough uh, to to accept. Uh, 
uh, all the all the institutions and to use them and 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 uh, and we of course as lawyers examined if if uh, uh, there are failures in the operation of the institutions that that uh, gives a background to and to understand this attitude of the of the people we we just examine if the constitutional court operates properly or the ombud system operates pro properly and 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 actually we uh, we usually conclude that the the institutional and procedural design are quite similar to to other Western European uh, democracies. So maybe the the point is not in, in in these legal questions, but maybe the the point is elsewhere to to understand. And this is where political science comes in, and and this is where your your research can can explain if. Uh, if the, the attitudes of the of the people are um, are adaptive to to these new uh, systems in these in these still uh, uh, a little bit transitory uh, democracies, and there is a new book which says that actually uh, the, the the explanation for populism in, in Eastern Central Europe, where it's really, <laughs> I mean, uh, prevalent, yeah, uh, is is a kind of resentment of this region towards the West. That, that all the promises of this regime change just couldn't be realized and that, that we are still being lectured by, by, the, by the West, that we are still uh, not as rich as they are, etc. And, and uh, this explanation says that, that maybe one of the support, one of the, the roots of the support for populist parties in Eastern Central Europe comes from this kind of resentment and and, and bad feeling that we are still not the West. So anyway, maybe the, ju just to, to, to conclude on this question that, that if populism has been on the rise, uh, well, it has many, many <laughs> causes, several contextual causes, and I think it's very important to understand those, those contexts and, and context, those contextual factors which lead to, to, the, to, the, to the growth of, of populism in, in, in different countries or even regions like Latin. Exactly. And another popular question, which is quite a follow-up question, is will populism last? As a political phenomenon, what do you all think about it? Um, and what do, what do scientific evidence and history suggest? I don't think we have enough historical <laughs> evidence to, to, to address this. But, uh, but I think right now it's a very effective strategy. And this is why it's employed. I think this is why from the sitting here in Hungary, it, it looks like populism is so prevalent because uh, because the government is a populist. It acts, it acts like it's in opposition, looking for a new enemy. Uh, George Soros is a popular one. Uh, um, whoever Brussels, Brussels, yeah. Brussels uh, is just looking for a new enemy uh, to to the new elite to fight against uh, in the name of the people, and then. All the opposition parties are saying, well, these people are the elites. The, the government is, is, the, is the elite, is the new elite, and they're corrupt. And yes, that, that, that does seem to be the case, at least and there are some, some, some uh, legitimate evidence that people see of that. It's a very effective strategy, though I, I'm, I'm somewhat optimistic. I, I started working on some research uh, um, looking at Spain. Because uh, in Spain, we had populist attitude data before they had a populist party. Uh, because there was a team of researchers who, who, who started collecting this, this, uh, these questions that were used elsewhere. And then immediately after Podemos, which is a left populist party, rose. And one of the things I noticed in the data, my analyzing, uh, and it was, it was data that was collected every year on the same people for multiple years. But we were able to track every individual in the data set in how their attitudes change as Podemos rose. What we see is, is 
is as Podemos rose, populist attitudes declined. And we don't know if that's because uh, people who don't like Podemos, otherwise, this party, have now identified the messages uh, and see them in the survey questions and say, no, 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 I'm not that, that's Podemos. Uh, but, we, but we see that there is some kind of moderating factor going on. Of course, you cannot do this in any country, and you need a time machine and brilliant data, which is what the, the, the colleagues in Catalonia have collected. Um, and uh, this data goes on. And during this time, another populist party rose in Spain, which was a right-wing populist party, which is Vox. And we have all that data. And I haven't been able to fully analyze it, but at least in the three years, I think four years uh, after, or during the rise of rise and, and, and then somewhat of a fall of, of Podemos, there is a strong moderation, or there's a noticeable moderation, I shouldn't say strong, of populist attitudes. So, so maybe there is some corrective mechanism in the system that... Uh, I mean, one of, the, one, of the, one of the early puzzles in populist attitudes research is, is populist attitudes were just as high in places where there were no populist parties. And, and, uh, and we don't know why. I mean, Switzerland has been a place where there are, there's a lot of populism and one of the lowest attitudes uh, of, of all the countries. But you go to Chile where there's almost no populism and populist attitudes are high. So maybe when the supply comes, and people moderate a little bit, that I chill out and, and, okay, maybe I don't believe it that much now that people are, are seeing this. So maybe there is some correction, but, but I fear that right now, while the media incentives is to perpetuate the conflicts and, 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 and until we change that, until social media's incentives is to perpetuate the conflict, it's going to keep going on, even if there's some kind of natural tendencies in the system to, to, to moderate populism in the long run. So, so I think those are where the interventions have to be made. Uh, in Italy, for example, mm -hmm. uh, when the, the populist parties uh, uh, came to, uh, to government, uh, it which, was which uh, the Five Star Movement. Okay. Uh, actually, uh, they, they, uh, they pronounced um, very, um, uh, very uh, restrictive uh, policies on migration issues and also they rejected to cooperate with the European Union in certain financial issues. So they, they really um, um, communicated very populist ideas, but when they came to power, actually our research so, uh, uh, showed that they, they withdrew from, from, from many, uh, many populist uh, ideas and, and they did not enact it uh, to, uh, to legislation. And uh, I also emphasize that we, we must go on a case-by-case -case basis to understand yes. this, uh, this problem. But, but, but in, in certain situations, uh, the power, the state, state power, can also help to, to moderate these uh, populist policies. Yeah, but, I mean, but this is a phenomenon we're familiar with, with the radical right. I mean, the radical right is very radical until they make it into parliament and then they moderate. So, I mean, this is a known phenomenon in, 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 in that context as well. So maybe that's just what's going on. Yeah, but something similar to what I just explained Levy about this uh, Spanish attitude. I remember that after Brexit and after Trump won, the popularity or the, the trust in the EU increased, you know, so there is some corrective. Yes, <laughs> yes. People uh, were afraid in Europe in general that, you know, Brexit somehow and Trump, it was kind of populist phenomena to some extent and the trust in EU uh, uh, just increased. So I think that there are corrective mechanisms and I think it's also uh, also the case that, 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 that for, and you're, you write it in, in your book, you have, a, you have a great book, 
which which says that yeah, populism is it, it needs some demand that the attitudes of people who have some problems, who have some grievances or some I don't know problems with the polity or the society, whatever. But you also need a supply. You need you need politicians. You need parties who can somehow formulate those grievances, make into politics and. And it's quite interesting, yes, that you, in, in Spain, uh, different actors uh, stepped in, like the Podemos yeah. first, uh, reacting to this economic and so socioeconomic problems, and later on it was Vox, who somehow uh, talks more about immigration and this, this right-wing topics, usually right-wing topics. So, so you know, populism is a, is, is, is a product of, of, of different factors. Again, we can, uh, we, we can reiterate this, although it's... Uh, it's not good to, to say that the world is complicated, but <laughs> it is so to some extent. So what I believe is that populism will come back in waves and maybe it will, it will vanish and, and come back again. So whether it will last or not, we will see. But, but I am actually, I, I think that in the, in the medium run, let's say, in the coming years, populism will be with us. We live, I think, in Anifas Kasmid is the, one of the greatest researchers in populism studies who, who, who had this expression of populist zeitgeist, so meaning that we are living in a populist era. And I think it's, it's very much true. So, so all, the, all the, the way the social media is operating, and just think about this pandemic, as I said, the, the populists were not able to capture or capitalize on the pandemic. But at the same time, a lot of very populist ideas, this anti-vaccination, which, which is anti-elitist, conspiracy theory, which is very populist phenomenon. Yeah. It's there, and it's, it's a mass movement also in Europe, not, not, not just in, in, in the United States. So, so can you believe that in the 21st century people are, are afraid of, of vaccines? And so it's, it's really unbelievable. So I think that, that we are here in a populist era, indeed, with social media, with, with populist politicians, especially in Central Eastern Europe, but also elsewhere. We have, of course, some economic problems, socioeconomic problems, which need to be addressed and which won't be on the short run. Uh, we have other problems with immigration, climate change, etc. Because sometimes even the green movement is called populist. You know, they are criticizing the big companies, the, the, the elite, rightly so, I believe. For, you know, so 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 I think that populism will be here, and and uh, and we should we should uh, we should pay attention to this phenomenon also as researchers, of course, but also as politicians and citizens, because again, this signals maybe some some real problems that, that, that need uh, to be addressed. Um, this was very insightful, thank you all so much. And finally, our last question may not be easy to answer. How to counter populism? Um, why don't you share some uh, practical ideas with us on how to mitigate its negative aspects? So I'm actively engaged in some research and it, it, the finding very much goes back to what George said. And I, I think this is not said enough times that there are legitimate grievances in society and this is why the mainstream parties are losing support and this is why anti-elitist forces populist forces like pro-people anti-elitist forces can gain popular support or even gain power because there are legitimate grievances and those are the grievances we need to address that is the way to fix populism now, who's gonna address these? Because populists are not doing a very good job. They just keep finding new enemies to fight and, and keep the, the illusion of a battle going. But uh, so I don't know who's gonna address these grievances, but these are the grievances that must be addressed. 
and that is the way to fight to fight populism. I mean, that is that is the main way to fight populism. I mean, we have done many many studies, uh, experimental studies, and it's like the most frustrating enter- uh, enterprise in research. And you should nobody, if any junior scholars are studying this, don't do this because it's failure after failure after failure after failure that you have an idea that maybe okay let's take contact theory let's try to get people to 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 talk to each other or think of a friend who thinks differently from them and no it doesn't work nothing works <laughs> it seems like so really i mean there, no other a, way just solving the social problems yes we have to, well, well we have to solve the social problems but even if you if you want to like let's say fix the polarization that populism causes which is my main concern right now, yes, it's mission impossible for social science. Really, I mean, there's a brilliant researcher, uh, her name is uh, Eliza Hawkins, uh, related to Kirk Hawkins. Uh, she, she, has, uh, she has an army of kids, but finally, as we turn back to research, she's a communication scholar and, and uh, has been looking into the, the effective communication aspect. And they are turning to literature that looks at post-war conflict reconciliations because because this the standard psychological approaches don't work in getting people to 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 move past the polarization move past seeing the enemy in the other side because they don't work because there are legitimate grievances underneath and that's the same case in the post post conflict literature there are grievances yes your people killed my people <laughs> my family and those are the legitimate grievances that have to be addressed. And it's not that extreme, but maybe the tools we can borrow from post-conflict reconciliation, which is not an effective enterprise either. Uh, it's really difficult to, to, to reconcile war. It almost seems just as difficult to reconcile politics or political conflict. So, um, yeah. Finding best practices to counter populism in, in Europe um, is, is very difficult and uh, in some successful cases uh, the solution is so much individual that it's not transferable actually to any, any other jurisprudence. So, so maybe if something works in, in Lithuania when the populists are not in, in power, when, when there, there are populist parties with populist uh, uh, ideas about, uh, for example, migration policy, but, but when, they, uh, when they are not in power it's, it's much more uh, easy to, to fight against them, uh, uh, but but in in many other states, when uh, when the populists form part of the government or when populists are in 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 government, it's a. It's, it's difficult and sometimes uh, the legal solutions turn out to be in, ineffective uh, uh, to counter uh, populism. Uh, fighting for, for equality and not only equal participation as we have already talked about, but, but in some sense the, uh, the, the equality of, of rights in, in all, all sense. In, in some countries uh, that might be the, the only way out from, uh, from these uh, restrictive and, uh, and uh, devising uh, uh, popular rights. Ideas. And the problem is that populists are quite uh, good in circumventing institutions or, or, or uh, yeah. how to say it, uh, exploiting the weaknesses of the, of the institutions, etc. So for me, populism, populism is more a, is a softer phenomenon. It's, it's more like a question of political culture, that how we feel, how we do, uh, what we do as citizens or as, as politicians, etc. Uh, one more thing to add is that within Demos research we found that some, some democratic attitudes and democratic knowledge and information seems to have some kind of uh, 
protective effect against uh, uh, populist, the populist appeal. So we've been working also with, with schools and, and, and looking at the democratic attitudes of, of young people. So for instance, uh, a democratic school atmosphere or democratic school culture can contribute to some democratic values and attitudes which, again, as I said, protect against the populist appeal. So I think it's, it's also important, uh, populism is, uh, as Levi as said, and I, I absolutely agree that there are grievances, socioeconomic problems, environmental problems, etc. But, but populism is also about politics, and what we think about politics, uh, can we accept a kind of Manichaean, good, bad, black and white picture of the society, or, or we are more open uh, to accept plurality and pluralism, uh, the differences of value, the differences of opinions, etc. So I think it's there. There's a lot of uh, things to do in terms of of civic education and and democratic culture, and not just civic education, but also the practice of democracy at, at the young age. Because I think it's not enough to preach to you know to the, to, the, to the youth about democracy, but let them do it. And if if can then if they can do it, they can really participate in democratic processes. It can create a kind of democratic attitude, which again repeating myself may protect against the, the, the populist appeal. Okay, thank you all so much for joining us today. Thank you Dr. Boda, Dr. Gardos Oros and Professor Litvai for joining us today. Like me, I'm confident that the listeners at home will leave this podcast discussion knowing a lot more about the five most frequently asked questions about populism. For those of you following us at home, thank you so much for tuning in for this special Demos podcast episode. Don't forget to subscribe to the Demos podcast so that you won't miss our next episode and follow the project's social media channels to know all about populism and its impact on democracy. Go check out our website at demos h2020.eu and see you in the next episode!